Today's podcast will focus on the successful utilization of advanced practice providers in urology practice. This podcast was recorded in several segments over the last month and consists of a series of interviews covering perspectives from both private practice and academic settings with both urologists and advanced practice providers. This will detail how they've successfully integrated APPs in practice from both the urologists and the APPs perspective. In order to do this, we have our guests Lou Kantz, Heather Schultz, Dr. Paul Turek, and Megan McCallum. We'll get started by letting everyone introduce themselves. All right, my name is Louis Kantz, and I started in urology as a nurse at Loma Linda University in 1971. I attended PA school at the University of Utah and graduated in 1992. Um, I have worked since that time in a multi-specialty clinic in the Department of Urology in Spokane, Washington. Hi, I'm Heather Schultz. I am a nurse practitioner and I'm lead APP at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Department of Urology. I've been with the practice for 12 years, working in the outpatient setting, seeing benign and malignant patients. And I also perform some minor in-office procedures. Hello, my name is Paul Turek. I'm the director of the Turek Clinics. These are private men's health practices in San Francisco, Beverly Hills, and Silicon Valley, California. I am a former endowed chair professor of urology at the University of California, San Francisco, and I retired um, from academic medicine and then began my own uh, solo private practice in California. And that's where I come from, and I'm a big fan of APPs. My name is Megan McCaleb. I'm a physician assistant here at the Turk Clinic. I graduated from Toro University in Vallejo, California in 2016 and started working here in August right after that. My first question is how has your practice been successful at integrating APPs into its practice of urology? Well, I, I think it's, it's multifactorial, but um, I was actually the first urologic PA in the state of Washington. And when I first joined uh, the group in uh, 1992, it was, I was accepted as part of the team. And I think that was one of the most important things that, that we worked as a team together. Um, that was probably the most important thing is I was, I had worked in cardiology and in urology, it just felt like, like I was accepted as not just as a someone to help out, but as part of the, the overall team. Great, thank you, Victor. It's a great question. And I, I have kind of two hats to wear. One is an academic for years and years, and now as a private practice guy. I have to start with the, the statement that my practice is run quite academically uh, in terms of training and and quality control and things like that. And the second thing, it's it's a boutique practice, a sort of single provider, solo private practice. And uh, it's characterized by high touch personal care, personalized care, lots of face time with the patient. But basically, I think having Megan around really keeps the quality up uh, because if I don't finish an explanation, she can. Uh, it, it increases the, the face time of, the, of the, the patient with a high quality provider. I think... Um, the practice 
in its academic way provides APPs with really high, you know, excellent training and that, and develops them into independent providers. So uh, it helps the, extends the practice too, because the we can do more than just a single individual. Well, I think um, within our urology department, um, we have worked very hard to make all of our APPs faculty members within the department. So we participate in faculty meetings. We also participate in resident interview day, also the rank meeting. We have a voice in how we should be integrated and in regards to clinical operations, uh, if there are any changes or suggestions. I've also noticed that there's a lot of mutual respect between uh, the MDs, residents, supportive staff, nurses with all the APPs, and that there's a sense of value in what we do, which I think is always great. Um, we also, when we're transitioning from MD to APP for continued care, uh, and let's say the APPs are new and they're shadowing these MDs that uh, will have these patients see them in the future. We introduce the APPs at the time in the office with the patient as a colleague and part of the urologic, uh, urologic care team, which I think also helps um, in the transition and that we're part of the team. Um, our APPs also work very independently, which uh, in my mind seems to foster uh, a high sense of professional fulfillment. We have a mobile care clinic here. So she sees patients and I sit behind a screen. And uh, that's pretty incredible. So in Silicon Valley, we do that. And I never touch the patient. So she, she's, every, she's my eyes and ears and fingers for the practice. And so I have to make surgical decisions based on her exam. But I know her exam because we've done probably a thousand patients together every, you know, for a year or two, just every patient she examines, I examine, she examines. So I actually know exactly what her limits are and what they're not and how good she is. So I can, you know, we basically with 95% certainty, I can do this, I can do mobile care and not have to examine the patient. That's an example of how you can push someone to, to fit, you know, and, and be, a, you know, a good fit and actually expand their skill set. So in, in the, uh, in the hospital-based academic setting, uh, at UNC, can you give us some specific examples of how um, how the department successfully utilizes APPs? Well, we're integrated in many different ways, which again is that nice example for residents in regards to how they can potentially integrate us in the future for themselves. Um, so number one, outpatient clinic settings, we see patients mostly independently. We'll see new patients, return patients. We even perform preoperative evaluations, post-op visits. We have survivorship clinics. We also have one APP that is a first assist in the OR, and she works at one of our satellite hospitals. She also helps out with some inpatient care there uh, as well. And then we have someone like myself, I'm integrated one day a week uh, in our tumor board clinics. So I'm embedded with the faculty MD, also with the resident, um, seeing new cancer patients, talking about uh, treatment options in the setting of having uh, other disciplines around like radiation oncology, medical oncology, radiology, and pathology uh, for tumor board discussion. We also have one APP that has a very interesting role in that she is a urology APP, but then also works one or two days a week in medical oncology. So she helped bridges 
uh, folks that might be uh, merging from urology care to unfortunately maybe medical oncology care, but it helps keep that continuity. We also have a few of us because we're of course, an academic center, we participate in research projects, we assist in recruiting patients and assimilating data, and we also help teach the residents. So we have uh, some of our APPs who give Grand Rounds talks to the residents, which uh, they have found helpful, specifically medical oncology. Um, we also participate in quality improvement in projects. Uh, the PA uh, that I talked about earlier, who is a first assist and also works inpatient, worked with our hospitalist team to figure out a way how to provide better cross coverage at night. And that in turn helped our um, residents uh, in decreased calls. We also provide nursing floor education. So post-op care needs for our urology patients. And then of course, procedures. We uh, can do diagnostic cystoscopy, stent pulls, uh, prostate biopsies, penile dopplers, testapel bantis. And then something else that we do is prostate biopsy pathology calls. So uh, when the biopsies are performed, um, each of us take turns in calling the patients with that pathology result. Well, again, there's a lot of different duties that, that we work. Again, the, this team concept is very important. And um, some of the, the things that we do as PAs for the, for the group is that we, in, in the office setting, we see almost exclusively all of the post-op patients. Usually we see them on a day that the physician that did the surgery is also available, but we see them and, and, uh, and talk to them about how they're coming along post-operatively. We may do wound checks. We may uh, take out sutures, uh, drains, that type of thing. Uh, that's one of the uh, uh, um, uh, areas that we help out in, in the office. We also take call on a regular basis uh, one week at a time with a physician as a backup. So we help with call. We also first assist in surgery uh, with all of the open cases, laparoscopic cases and robotics cases. We make hospital rounds on the patients that are in the hospital every on a daily basis. Ahead of the surgeon, uh, we put in our notes and then the surgeons come along and are quickly able to make rounds and uh, we can bring them up to snuff as to what's going on with that patient. Um, also, we do see acute stone cases within the office if they need to come in quickly, as well as helping out in the emergency room uh, for acute cases. So, th so those are some of, the, some of the things that we do to help the practice out. I think that also benefits patient care in that patients can be seen sometimes the same day if they need to be. I think as, as APPs, we, we tend to spend a little more time and have a little more time with patients and then have a, a, a quite a large role in in patient education. So Lou, your, I think your practice is, I don't want to say unique, and, and that's a, one of the questions I'm going to ask you, but you as APPs are really involved in the entire practice, both in the office or clinic setting, as well as in the operative room and in the hospital. Do you have a sense of how common that is, as opposed to the APP who is strictly hired by a practice to be in a practice or who is strictly hired by a hospital to be in a hospital setting, whether it be on the floor caring for patients or in the operating room caring for patients. It seems like you have a great situation in that you really get to practice in a very similar way that urologists get to practice. 
Well, that that is actually correct and, and absolutely correct. And, and that's what's kept me in it for all these years is because there is that variety. And certainly as I've talked with other uh, PAs and nurse practitioners in urology, um, we do have a unique uh, situation. Uh, there are a lot of practices where, where the APP is just office-based. Um, certainly if you're hired by a hospital, um, usually you're in, in, on the floor making rounds and that type of thing, and occasionally helping out in surgery. Then I also have met APPs that uh, they are just strictly in the operating room helping first assisting and uh, maybe making rounds in the hospital. But in our unique setting, I think it is, um, it is unique in that we do get to, to spend a lot of time and, and basically function, I think, as a resident in that we do uh, a lot of the things that a urologist would do. Um, and so that has made it very challenging, but also very, very rewarding as a profession. Dr. Turek, how does this work at your clinic and in your practice? So I would say to consider my APP, Megan, as a fellow. And uh, they are, you know, very energetic. They, they can learn quickly. So you can extend your skill set. You can extend the broad, the, the bandwidth of the practice. I can see the practice going to me being kind of NASA and having several mobile care sites all at once going. And I see patients from a single site and make decisions. Now, you understand that, that the, the care isn't changed there. They still get an hour with the practice. They get a half hour with Megan and a half hour with me, but they normally get, say, 45 minutes with me if I'm alone. But there's that. Plus, post-op care. So we talk about pre-op, post-op care. I use Megan to as sort of a primary care doctor to screen my patients for surgical, for preparation, so I don't get any surprises like blood thinners or, uh, you know, not medically cleared. So she spends several minutes a day on the pre-ops talking with them, talking with anesthesia, doing whatever it takes to make sure that on the day of surgery, that patient's not canceled. And when you're dealing with a, a, you know, a tightly run practice in three cities where I'm traveling a lot, you know, that, that is really important to have someone dependable. Postoperatively, we use electronic follow-up called Health Loop, and she is a provider on Health Loop, and we sort of work together on it somehow. We tag team it sometimes yeah. with the, the post-op care on Health Loop. You know, um, we want to make sure that we're checking in with the patients every day, answering their questions, and we really use it not for emergencies, but for basic questions. If they have concerns, they can send a photo if they need to. We can check for, you know, wound infections and, you know, bring them into the office when they need to be. Yeah, we can, with Health Loop, electronic follow-up, sort of mobile, you know, app-based follow-ups, we can tell if there's going to be a problem post-op in a patient three days before it happens. And there's a lot of data on, on eliminating visits. But again, I'm operating in two cities, LA and San Francisco. I can't afford complications. It would kill me. And Megan is, she, she basically, you know, she spearheads a lot of that care and will let me know if she if she's concerned about something and typically we'll bring them in but it can do it on a much more controlled way so extending my skill set to more patients patients come to me as sort of a you know world-class provider so it's hard to do a lot of stuff the handoff surgeries but megan does procedures um, she has a testosterone clinic um, she, we could start an std clinic we could start different clinics and hear from men 
and do stuff like that with perfect confidence. But the primary care background I find invaluable uh, and a lot of guy in men's health, I do all these things men and, you know, they have an ED problem. We worry a little bit about their medical background and we can get advice on that. So she, it's like having another provider of a different skill set almost that I take advantage of. Um, as an institution at UNC, we have something that might be kind of unique uh, compared to other academic centers. I'm not really sure, but we have something called a UNC APP Center. And this APP Center helps to advocate for APPs within our institutions. So we have a central website for all UNC APPs. We have helpful resources on there. Uh, the center also helps to advocate for APP salaries, CME opportunities, uh, and also helps us to be integrated on UNC committees. You all are doing an awful lot. Um, just tell us about some of the benefits to the to the urology practice at UNC. I would say that the benefits to practice in general would be that we are pretty cost effective. Uh, we do help kind of spread the work around to help decrease burnout. And that's not just for attendings, but residents at all uh, as well can be kind of pulled in different directions. And this also can help free up attendings for more complex cases or OR time research or teaching residents. Um, also, our patient satisfaction scores are, are pretty equivalent to our MD colleagues, so that's always good. Um, I think from the uh, multidisciplinary um, clinic, I think that it's, it, it brings a benefit in that APPs have the ability to discuss complex oncology cases in tumor board or perhaps unusual imaging findings in our cancer surveillance um, patients that we see. So kind of a bridge and an opportunity for us to discuss those cases. And for residents, I think we uh, help decrease their burnout, their workload uh, by doing the pre-ops and post-ops inpatient care. Uh, we also assist in their teaching and help them with those quality um, improvement kind of projects and, and uh, offload uh, calls for them at night. Um, I, I, another question is, so how did your practice or, or what steps do you, does your practice take uh, to maintain the successful relationship and integration of APPs? Um, I know you mentioned the team approach, and that seems to be, at least in, in your mind, a, 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 main, a mainstay of this, that you're all working towards the same goal. But how do you make sure that that's being uh being achieved? Uh, do you have regular meetings or how do you, how do you all communicate with your physicians to make sure you're on the same page and that they're happy that you're happy, et cetera? Well, uh, again, I think like, as you mentioned, the team approach is, is very important. And I, I'm just to elaborate on that a little bit. I think that we, we all are trying to, uh, to get together and do the same thing, and that is to provide the best care that we can for patients. Now, I do something that's kind of unique, and, and some people may balk at that as that wasn't part of their training, and that is that that I do a lot of the the uh, CPT codes for surgeries and do the billing for the surger for the surgeons. Now, we feel that that as a provider, that we know exactly what's going on in the surgery more so than just giving a number to to somebody that does billing. Now, some people say, well, you know, that's not what I was trained to do. But my feeling is, again, it's a team approach. So if I don't do it, the surgeon does it. So 
we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. And so it gives them more time, frees them up to do other things uh, and see more acute patients. Whereas I do some of the billing, I do um, some of the um, scheduling for call and so forth. But we do have um, every three to four months, we get together as a group, all five of us, and we, we go over um, how to improve things, to make things smoothly, uh, to go smoother, and what things need to be changed. Um, and I think that that has been a real success for the group to, to do that and be able to speak freely at these meetings um, for anything that we can improve the practice to make it go smoother. So, you know, one thing that you said uh, I thought was very interesting, and it's that, you know, you're working as a member of the team with not only faculty, but residents. And it would seem to me in that kind of environment, residents can learn how to optimally work with APPs as part of the healthcare team. So there's, to me, it seems like there's a real value to residents in learning how to work with APPs. Um, and, you know, as I was thinking, I, I'm almost thinking that um, residents who have worked in a situation like yours can be helpful as they get integrated into urologic practices that may not be utilizing APPs Correct. to help within that integration. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. And and there's some thought that how can you, you know, are, are APPs helpful in an academic setting um, when you have so many residents? But uh, one of those points is that uh, it does show residents how we can be integrated and how many varied aspects we can be integrated. Um, so, yes, I, I agree. So at the end of the day, we know that it's really all about the patient uh, in what we do. Um, tell me some of the benefits to patient care that you've seen from a successful integration of APPs. Uh, I think they get like the beginning, what I said, there's a lot of, it's all high touch practice. So you can maintain the high touch without me doing it. And because the soul of it is the same, uh, what you might notice in this whole conversation is we're not talking any financials. So everyone else in private practice will tell you, I can get more cases in, get more income in, get more patients in the office. You know, we, we haven't done that yet where she sees patients independently and then, you know, and sort of is an officist in a sense, uh, you know, as an officist while I'm in the operating room and things like that. We haven't, we could, and we might, but it's sort of exploratory. And, you know, as a, as a fee-for-service practice, we don't have the volume really to do it, but it could expand that way. And the model is interesting enough that private equity is interested in it. So I think, you know, it's very, it's very translatable. It's very algorithmic. Uh, and so that's part of it is, you know, mobile care, for example, is a very algorithmic thing. If you can get the right person doing the right thing, you can really expand your practice that way. And the quality of care is no different. So I'd say what Megan doesn't do is impair any of the quality of care we give and probably only improves it. Whereas if I hired another couple of physicians, it might not be the same care that I would give them. Well, we have found at UNC that we have been able by having um, multiple APPs that we can see patients sooner um, and the patients have better access to academic care. Uh, we have some satellite clinics now in our satellite hospital 
and we have APPs at those locations. So they don't have to come to the main hospital. That can be very overwhelming. We have a higher, you know, elderly age type population, and they appreciate these smaller kind of satellite clinics. So we help staff those. Um, we also, in our templates uh, for new patient visits, we can spend a little more time. So our time slot is longer. Uh, also, our post-op visits are longer as well. So we can spend that extra time that maybe others may not have time for. And my favorite example is the continuity of care that, that we can give. And, and the example that I like to give is, is seeing a, like a newly elevated PSA in clinic. So a new patient visit, they could come in and see someone like myself for their newly elevated PSA. We can talk about it and what it means. Maybe we decide on a biopsy. So they proceed with a biopsy and they can have that done by one of our APPs. And then let's say they're diagnosed with prostate cancer. One of us APPs calls them and gives them that pathology report. And then we refer them to our multidisciplinary clinic to be seen as a new cancer patient. And in that clinic, they can be seen by me and the MD. And then we can decide on a treatment regimen and we discuss them in tumor board. And then let's say they choose surgery. Then an APP can be a first assist in the OR uh, to help with the case, do their pre-op evaluation as well. And then someone like myself can see them for their post-op visit and then for their cancer surveillance. So in every aspect of care, the patient has been touched in some way by an APP. And that continuity, I think uh, the patients really do appreciate. And you've found in your practice setting that the patients are comfortable with that model, um, elevated PSA going right to biopsy, diagnosis of cancer before seeing the urologist um, that works in your system? It seems to. Um, I guess I haven't looked at my patient satisfaction or survey results over the last couple of months, but um, it seems that patients are very satisfied with that. Megan, what do you think um, are the things that uh, that Dr. Turek did to successfully integrate you into the practice and, and keep you there? Yeah, I mean, a ton of it was the training aspect, the education that's involved. You know, we come out of school as more of like a general practitioner and we spend, you know, a a little bit of time on a lot of bit of subjects um, and you come here and it's it's like a residency you get put into we're in a subspecialty you know we not only urology but we also do you know a lot of male infertility here and I think that was probably like a chapter in one of my books and so I come here and you know Dr. Turks has written many chapters and books and he's able to say you know like you know, why don't you read more on this? This is going to be great for the next patient. Read this. And so we work together. And over the years, you know, we've gotten to a point where I'm, I'm much more uh, proficient in, in urology than people coming out of, you know, a, a med school. What would you say were some of the, the challenges as you started? Or, you know, we might say barriers, but, you know, you've been so successfully integrated. I, I prefer to use the word challenges uh when you started and maybe as things were getting going yeah um i do think you have to find the right fit the right person um it's a different level of autonomy than maybe some uh apps want so if i went into private you know primary care right out of school i would have my own patient panel and be seeing those those patients on my own 
Um, this is a little different and you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with the fact that you are working alongside, you know, another provider that they, many people travel from all over the world to come see Dr. Turek and maybe they don't want to see me right away. Um, but we, we work together a ton and, and the patients I think can feel that and they, they understand it once they're here. Um, and I speak to a lot of them from, from international patients over the phone and help bring them in and help sell the practice that way as well. And Dr. Turek. Yeah. So another independent, uh, provider aspect is she, she, uh, fields calls from around the world every day. And we do these free calls for patients who just, we just want to know if it's a good fit for them to come from around the world to the practice. And so she interviews them and we make a plan and sometimes, and lots of times they come. So I, I do that too, but I can hand off sort of half of that work. And to me, those, you know, that's, that's the soul of the practice is tailored care. You know, they get their questions answered and, uh, and they're, and she's highly knowledgeable. So, um, it's, she's a recruit. She recruits for the practice routinely. So it seems to me that, that what's worked there is right fit, right training and right mentorship, uh, to, uh, produce a, a, a great collaboration between, uh, the two of you. So Heather, obviously, uh, you're well-trained as a urologic APP. Um, you do a lot of, you do a lot and clearly a, a lot of knowledge, uh, and some technical skills are required for that. So at UNC, how do you, how do they train you, you all so that you can function in all these roles? Yeah, it's really challenging because we all come from different backgrounds and, and none of us get much urology training in our, in our schooling. And so when we're hired, we really come with very little urology experience and knowledge. And uh, our hires have been some of them uh, new grads, so completely new even to being an APP, um, and then some with some experience, but new to urology. So we set up kind of this um, training kind of guide that we use. Um, we apply it to everyone since everyone's pretty much new to urology, whether you're a new grad or not. Uh, we do not, I have to say, have a fellowship program. So this is just something we've made up along the years. Um, but it involves three months of didactic and clinical work. And to break it down between the didactic and clinical, um, didactic, we usually spend week one through four uh, kind of reviewing anatomy, physiology, bladder voiding, voiding dysfunction, performing exams, enlarged prostate, and general, general urology. And then week four through eight, we concentrate more on oncology, urolithiasis, neurogenic bladder. And then the last weeks, week eight through 12, radiology, interpreting, imaging, uh, focusing on clinical guidelines, strictures, female urology, and men's health. And then partnering with that is the clinical work. So week one through four, we have everyone shadow. They're learning the EMR. They're rotating with all the primary faculty that they're going to be working with. Um, and we have them uh, for the didactic piece uh, doing the online APP modules uh, that are now available. And then week four through eight, uh, for the clinical work, we have them continue to shadow. And then we add in them going into the OR to view cases, maybe local procedures. Uh, and then week eight through 12, we have them shadow, 
again, kind of watch local procedures, OR, but then uh, in those last couple of weeks have their own clinic, kind of a modified shortened template um, where they're alongside experienced faculty and having their own clinic where they can have someone close by to ask questions to. So is that, is the didactic, the three months of didactic work only didactic work or does it, does it run side by side with the clinical work? Side by side with the clinical work. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing I'll also say, as you mentioned, the APP modules, and those are uh, the APP modules that uh, are available through the uh, uh, AUA University. So for uh, any of our listeners who uh, are interested in that, whether uh, they be APPs or whether they be uh, physicians, we, uh, we do have um, a whole set of um, modules that cover many of the uh, areas uh, in, in urology that are common to day-to-day uh, -day practice. And uh, Heather, as the chair of the APP Education Committee, has been instrumental in, uh, in getting all those modules uh, together, and uh, they have been widely used. So uh, I'll just put in a little plug for those modules, and thank <laughs> you for the work you've put in on those. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a group effort. Yep. <laughs> thank you. Nowadays, there are some specific uh, APP um, residency programs in urology, although there aren't that many, but there are some. And the AUA has uh, a, a huge uh, educational uh, offerings for APPs. But how did you, how were you initially supervised and how did you learn to do what you do? Well, that's, that's, that's a great question. I mean, initially, of course, it was just following the, in the office, I just followed the physicians around. Um, and because as, as you know, three different physicians have three different ways of maybe approaching the same problem. Uh, neither one is wrong. That's just how they approach it. And it's, so to learn that, I just followed them for quite a while. And then I, I certainly um, went to meetings, to AUA meetings, to sub-specialty meetings in urology and did a lot of reading, and um, but now, as you mentioned, um, if you get on the AUA website, we have developed so many different um, aids for uh, APPs that can help in their training that I think that makes it a lot easier. But initially, it was, and and I, I know we throw these terms around, but it, it had to be supervision because I wasn't very clear on certain things to do, and so the supervision. But as time went on, and and as I learned the craft. Now it's collaboration, and that makes it so much more rewarding. But initially, it had to be supervision, which developed into collaboration, which is a great thing. So anything else uh, as far as uh, training goes? So Dr. Turk's a great teacher. He taught at UCSF for many years. And he, you know, the minute I joined on board, he went through a ton of training with me. And a lot of PAs knows there, there are residencies out there that we can do, but a lot of time they may not be needed if you find the right doctor to work with and they're willing to put the training in, then you get that experience without having to do the residency. And I feel like, you know, we've gone through it so much now that I, I do know what he's going to say to a lot of the patients and, and how to say it to them because he's created that. We've gone through it together where we go through different scenarios, um, where things that come up, we're able to answer pretty, pretty easily. You know, it seems that in the in the APPs and the physicians that we've spoken to um, during this series, 
uh, on-the-job training seems to be critical no matter what the APP's background is, whether they are fresh out of school, whether they have some experience or even experience in urology, or even, as you mentioned, those who have, have done a residency, there's, I, to me, it seems like a critical component is on-the-job training so that the APP's role can be um, sort of um, um, customized to the practice that they're in. Would you agree with that, Paul? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Victor. I would also say that, you know, it's really important, depending if it's an NP or a PA, that they have a delegation of service or a, a standard operating procedures. Uh, their, their training requires that there's a document between the provider and them, which explains everything, what they can do, what they can't do, how they're monitored. It's sort of like a residency or a fellowship agreement, of, you know, about the scope of services. And, you know, I worked those out completely with them in the beginning. I, you know, this is where I expect you to start. It's where I expect you to be, be doing procedures independently. Um, and, you know, and then you have to tailor the training to each person. So I actually treat Megan like a fellow. Just, I mean, there's really no difference if at the end of the day, in terms of learning potential and uh, understanding of things, she's basically a physician. And, uh, there's some limitations technically and legally, but um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work it. She, she could be an equal soon, not, you know, not surgically necessarily, et cetera, and not fully professionally, but as much as I can, I'm going to push her to her limit. And that's, that's the key is finding that fit. The hardest part about the APP for me, because I've been through several, is finding a personality fit for them, you know, for the practice. That, that really is the hardest part, and that's where you have to do your shopping. No question about it. I mean, when I go into the operating room initially as I started, three different surgeons would approach a radical prostatectomy three different ways. And so you have to learn each one, each craft, and how they approach it. And that takes time. And so patience and, and observation and hands-on is the key, as you mentioned. Right. I, I mean, I think for our listeners – it is uh, it's interesting to for them to know that the kind of situation that you have and that your the physicians that you work with have uh, is possible if that fits the needs of the practice. So it does depending upon where you are, it doesn't necessarily have to be that an advanced practice provider's uh, responsibilities are limited to just a clinic or to just a hospital, but there may be the opportunity to have a full integration into practice uh, as uh, as it is in 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 your practice, um, and that can offer some I, I think some big advantages for certain uh, for certain practices. So it seems like there is a lot of uh, on the job learning and uh, on the job training, which uh, seems to be a common way uh, to train APPs who. I was going to say who have not had a, a, a specific residency uh, in urology, but I suppose even with uh, a, a residency or fellowship uh, type training in urology, there's always going to be uh, yeah. a certain amount of on-the-job training, especially to get 
APPs to, you know, each practice is different. So right. uh, to sort of customize it to, to the individual practice, whether it be in the academic setting or whether it be in a private practice setting. Yeah. I guess my, my last thing that I'd like to cover is at UNC, how, how do they keep you guys there and keep the APPs happy? Uh, essentially, how do they achieve success in retaining APPs? Well, you know, um, I think there's a, a lot of great things uh, that you. And one of those, I think, is that UNC Urology really supports our involvement um, in local, regional and national level meetings, uh, programs, committees. Uh, they encourage us to uh, give talks. Um, and they also give us education funds um, to do this. So I think that's one thing. Uh, they also have appointed uh, a urology lead APP, which actually happens to be me. And so my role is that I help communicate um, between the APPs, the chair, clinical directors in regards to template issues or uh, any concerns they have, staff, nursing, things like that. Um, I also perform evaluations of the APPs. I help, you know, them with professional development. You know, do they feel too overwhelmed in clinic? Do they want to do more, be more? Do they want to learn procedures? Um, and I also help plan for um, new APPs and how to onboard them. Uh, so that's relatively new in the last couple of years. We also, which I'm not sure how common this is, but um, we do offer scribes for APPs. And of course, one of those barriers is cost. So the APP needs to see a certain amount of patients in clinic in order to counter that cost. But that is something that is helpful. And I have to admit, I have one every Friday and it's my favorite day of the week and it's lovely and my notes get closed fast. So uh, I really appreciate that. We also have uh, either full academic days, admin days, or a half a day every week, which is pretty nice. Uh, and a barrier to that, of course, is if the APP is not productive enough, not seeing enough patients, then that might be reduced. But once they reach a certain amount of patients, they're allowed uh, that day. Uh, and then, like I mentioned earlier, we do get education funds. This does have to be reassessed every you know, year to end, depending on department budgets. And if that number is actually meeting our education costs, uh, has to be reviewed. I think that this has provided our audience with a really nice overview of the integration of APPs into different types of urologic practices. I want to thank all of my co-hosts today for their participation. Lou Kantz, Heather Schultz, Megan McCallum, and Dr. Paul Torek. I would also like to thank you, the audience, for listening. As always, if you would like more information, please visit us at auanet.org university. Thank you. <laughs>